This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Dr Isabel Crombie, Assistant Director at the National Gallery of Victoria and co-curator of a new exhibition at NGV Australia called Brave New World. It showcases art, design and architecture from the 1930s in Australia and really explores the social and political upheaval of the time. Yes, you are listening to 3RRFM and this is Amy Mullins on Uncommon Sense and I have with me in the studio Dr Isabel Crombie who is Assistant Director at the National Gallery of Victoria as well as the co-curator of Brave New World. Hi Isabel. Hi Amy, it's lovely to be here. It's great to have you <laughs> here. You. Thank you. And congratulations on the exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it's you know, we, we've seen Art Deco explored in various ways and it has been um, there at the National Gallery in previous exhibitions. I recall seeing a lot of mm-hmm. furniture and decorative arts um, and Art Deco. But in the 1930s in Australia, um, you know, a, a lot of what springs to mind is the Great Depression um, and, you know, sadness and also it being an interwar period. So there's a lot of um, turbulence and confusion and uh, shock after, particularly shell shock, um, after World War One, So there's a lot of um, images and feelings that it might conjure up for people. But taking our cue culturally from uh, the title Brave New World, which references obviously the book um, by Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, um, it was really fascinating for me when I was reading the catalogue to see that uh, actually after it had been imported into Australia um, and it was published in 1932, it became a prohibited import uh, that same year because um, it was indecent apparently. It uh, it really um, contravened the Indecency Act and uh, and that existing copies were burned. Yes. Does that sound yes, like the Australia we all know and love? Uh, well, it's a strange... <laughs> It's a strange thing, isn't it? Yeah. I think it was to do with the um, kind of forthright depiction of sexuality in the book was the reason that it was that it was banned. Because actually, what it was, um, Aldous Huxley's book was a real plea about um, the downside of eugenics. Eugenics, or that kind of pseudoscience of selective breeding at that time, was a very big thing, as you say. Australia was coming out of the First World War. There was a lot of discussion about how the nation should progress, given there'd been this feeling of rupture between the past and the present. And many people at that time felt that the way that it could go forward was through, um, there's no nice way of saying it, breeding a certain (laughs) type of Australian. So, yes, we did pick that title as being a very resonant title for this show, which is quite complex interrogation of of art and society in the 30s. But of course, we also picked that title because it was a photograph that Max Dupain took, not just once, but twice. He made a photograph in the 19, in 1935 he called Brave New World. And at that time, it was quite a provocative thing because the book had been banned. And then he returned to the topic in 1938 when the book came back into circulation again. So I guess it just shows that artists were, at that period, they really had their finger on the pulse of what mm. was happening in Australia. And as you say... 
it was not just a period of um, Art Deco and that kind of utopian impulse, but it was also a period when the Great Depression had made its mark so profoundly. Yeah, and we'll move into Max Dupain very soon because I'm really excited to um, pick your brains on him given sure. your uh, <laughs> huge and en- enormous expertise in that I- area. Um, but I want to draw out something that relates back to Huxley, um, which is also highlighted in the catalogue, and it's about um, the the skyscrapers and its... I guess symbolism. Um, it can. It could also. It's a symbol of hope, but it was also uh, quite scary or looming across the city. Mm. Um, and the Manchester Unity Building is um, one of those buildings that is explored uh, in the exhibition. There's a great poster of it, um, a huge poster actually, uh, by Percy Trumpf. Yes. Um, from the 1930s, and obviously the Manchester Unity Building is a pretty iconic building in Melbourne anyway, but it does glisten in the sun. I did take a photo one day after <laughs> the rain and it had this beautiful golden mm. sheen to it in the sun. When this kind of um, new architecture was being built amongst restrictions, particularly height restrictions, what was the sense that you were trying to provide in this exhibition around the architecture and how that was an expression of the time and the changes that were happening? Sure. Well, it's it's what you say. It was a, it was a very symbolic thing. It dominated the landscape. It dominated the, um, the urban landscape of Melbourne. Um, for many people, that was the highest they'd ever been. And once you got to the top, there was this incredible view over Melbourne that you hadn't seen in that way before. But it also casts enormous shadows over the city. So it's domineering both as a symbol of optimism, but also on that kind of flip side. And so I guess that's really what in this show... Um, we set up this kind of juxtaposition between the utopian and the dystopian. And in fact, even the way it's designed on the right-hand side, there's the utopian city on the left-hand side, the dystopian. So um, there are these, you know, it's a period in which uh, the decade is bookended by the Great Depression at one end and the war at the other. And in between, people are looking at how to um, kind of progress society. Mm. And uh, for some, technological progress, of which skyscrapers were such an enormous part, um, signalled this kind of utopian way forward. Um, And for others, it was actually about um, a darker view of modernity, the things that it did to the body, living Mm. in a city that where sunshine was cut off, um, living in a city that was much more fast-paced. What did that do to people? So it's really those twin things that you see expressed through the art and the architecture and the design of the period. Yeah. And, I mean, you've said, or it's quoted in this, this catalogue that the Manchester Unity Building was seen as, quote, a modern miracle yes. um, <laughs> and that it was it had Melbourne's first escalator, which yes, had joy rides. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, my father, who recently passed away, I asked him about this building and he yeah. He said as a kid, he thought it was the most extraordinary thing to go into the city, to go up to the top story of this building. I mean, it's impossible to kind of conjure up those memories today. But Mm. of course, there's a whole generation of people who do look at that in their childhood. I mean, one other other great technological marvel of the period, which is worth drawing out as well, is the... um, is the Harbour Bridge. And, you know, when the Harbour Bridge was opened in 1932, many people referred to it as the Iron Lung Mm. because it employed so many people at a time when, you know, 1932, the worst um, of the Depression had hit. 32% of the population was out of work. 
So at the same time that you have this extraordinary um, bridging of, literally bridging yeah. of the <laughs> Sydney Harbour through this amazing, uh, incredible technological wonder, it, it, at the same time, Australia is in the midst of this really intense um, depression. Mm. And it, that brings me to one of my favourite artists, uh, Grace Cossington-Smith, mm. who has a wonderful painting in this exhibition. Um, and what was it titled again? I forgot. It's called title. Bridge in Curve. That's and right. And so it's it's really playing up that um, beautiful kind of sweeping curve mm. of the bridge. And it's unfinished in the mm. painting because obviously it was under construction when she's painting. Yes. So um, she and many other artists of the time picked up on those things such as the bridges and the buildings and um, in particular the cars and the trains, Mm. the spirit of progress, the great train in Melbourne that was launched during this time. There's a little poster in the show which I love because it shows it like this sort of art deco kind of monster charging through, (laughs) charging through the landscape. Oh, Um, yes. I think it's that one, Spirit of Progress. Is it that one? It is. Yeah. It is. Sorry, I'm just reading it out so you can see. Victorian Railways present the Spirit of Progress. Even the, even the name of it, you know, says yeah. uh, says much about the utopian impulse at the time. And um, I guess one of the things we've done in this show, I mean, that particular image is quite deco. Mm, but in is. this show, we, we've looked at uh, kind of all of the art that was produced during this period. So the conservative manifestations, mm. you know, abstraction starts to come in, surrealism, expressionism. So we've been quite, to, for want of a better word, Catholic in the choices of, of art that we've included. Yeah. And one of the, I guess, segues into an exploration of womanhood and the modern woman mm. before we get on to the body and, mm-hmm. and that is there's a video playing um, which is kind of like an ad, I guess. Yes. And it's fascinating to watch. <laughs> I was kind of disturbed and was writing down the measurements that they had down as, you know, her bust and her hips and her, you know, and it was like she was being judged at, as to whether she was the right body type for that period and that lingerie and um, this new technology that they have can alter your physical type to fit that. And we do see then Max Dupain doing uh, advertisements around that for women. Yeah, well, the modern woman, I guess, uh, you know, women during the First World War started to enter the workforce in a different kind of way. During the 1920s, there was the whole flapper era. By the 30s, um, a proportion of Australian women are living on their own in um, the new apartments which are being built at the time. They're working, they're sort of delaying having children or not having children. They're becoming artists, they're going out to nightclubs. Um, advertisers adore them because they're starting to market all sorts of labour-saving saving devices to them. And the photograph that you talked of by Max Dupain, which is a ripper, Isn't shows it, yeah. um, this woman in a beautiful kind of um, long gown standing beside a man also dressed uh, for nighttime. And in between them is a refrigerator. Fridge, yeah. <laughs> so it's like the fridge becomes this sort of bit player in a Hollywood film noir. Yeah. Um, but it just speaks to the kind of the glamour that was involved in this. So I guess as part of all of this, you know, the body of the woman becomes quite different in the 30s. Um, People talk about her being slim and straight and athletic. Um, And if you didn't, if you weren't born with that body, you could then apply modern technology to kind of whip you into shape. So Mm. the film you talk about is uh, for um, a corset. 
um, somebody described it to me actually as being like um, a lesbian uh, love affair, the film, because it's quite this intimate it is very. situation in which the two women are sitting and she's kind of strapping her into this kind of corset. Yeah. I must say I hadn't seen it that way. but No, um, but she, and she's calling the, the lingerie maker to let her know her precise measurements yes. so they could make sure that it was going to fit her perfectly and then they're going to try it on and it was this very elaborate process it was definitely a process it's not like djs now is it no you know, when you go to try on a pair of undies or something they just get thrown at you yeah but, um, that fish? Yes, it was no. it was a whole kind of thing and you know the modern woman was was loved by advertisers but she was also highly criticized so mm. uh one of the writers at the time william bailbridge um really criticized her for denying her role as to quote him the sacred vessel of maternity uh, so yeah. at a time when uh, population rates were going down it was really seen that women who chose to live on their own work were being selfish they weren't mm. getting on the, with the role for which they were here which was to encourage the development of um, a kind of a new Australia and you know it's fascinating at this time because people talk about an actually new body that is coming out of this sort of eugenic impulse. And that new body is very athletic and very fit, premised on Anglo-Celtic stock. Mm. So the Aboriginal body falls into a kind of different category according to this scenario. But uh, men and and women um, definitely are are looked at in a very different way in this period. Yes. Mm. And um, in in a piece that you were writing, you said that... uh, and we'll move into Max Dupain because I guess his photography is one of the greatest expressions of this mm, it is. feeling is that um, he often focused on a vitalistic understanding of the sexually differentiated energies of men and women in the 1930s, associating women with nature and obviously thereby mm-hmm. childbearing and more curvaceous figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, all, and then with men in particular with physical activities such as the discus thrower, which is a very um, fascinating uh, image and throughout his photograph his photographs i mean most of these are nudes um but they're montages and they're juxtaposed against a whole range of modern life mm. and modernity in terms of the works that you looked at um to express this issue of eugenics and and the the concerns that as you've written modern life was a depleting eugenic force Mm. and there was this conservative dialogue particularly men actually um you know talking about women's roles and then depicting women in certain ways i mean how did you bring together these kind of Photographs and which ones do you think um, highlight it best? I mean, I have my personal favourites, but I wanted to go to you first before sure, I pick any out. Sure. Well, look, I think it probably makes more sense this whole discussion if we go back just a tiny bit to Max's father, because Max's father was one of the first um, physical educators in Australia. He set up a gymnasium, he had an enormous library, and he was um, a dyed-in-the-wool eugenicist. So he wrote about it. He wrote about it as the sort of way forward. He was very critical about modern men and women for for the way that they were living. And so, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that Max is a eugenicist. I would just say that a lot of that um, kind of discourse about body culture becomes very apparent in his work. So Max always downplayed uh, the intellectual side of what it was that he did. He said he was instinctual. He said he was spontaneous. But um, it's a little bit kind of... um, 
disingenuous of him because, in fact, he was enormously well-read. And one of the books that he picked up in particular was Henri Bergson's um, Creative Evolution. So Bergson had a philosophy called Ilan Vital, which was about the, the essential spark that he believed animated people. And he did talk about these um essences in men and women, sexually differentiated. So a number of artists in the period picked up on this. Max picks up on it in very particular ways. So he believes really that Australians have disconnected from their classical past and that what we needed to do to to get back that kind of um, essential energy was to reassociate ourselves with um, nature and in particular the beach. Mm. So I guess one of the works that I particularly love of Max's, which is very, very wacky, is um, a nighttime landscape of a city with twinkling little lights and over the top of it at the back is montaged a giant woman's breast. Yes, that's actually <laughs> so, my favourite too. Is it? Yeah, oh, well, I was going to pick that out. It's so strange. but Isn't it? Um, it's very you know, odd. It refers back to uh, a painting from the 19th century which mm. uh, was of the goddess of the night and the breast milk expressed from her became the stars. And so Max is is really saying that the nighttime stars have been replaced in modern life by the twinkling electrical um, lights of the modern city. Mm. So, you know, you can see just in this one photograph, it's a it's a very complex kind of intellectual construct as well as a, a kind of a very strange looking result. But it yeah. does make no sense if you don't really look at the background. You're also looking at another photograph there, I can tell, which is of the naked pregnant woman yes. by Max Dupain standing in the middle of two busts of Venus. There, it goes back to Bale Bridge's statement about women being the sacred vessels of maternity. So this is really what Max is showing here, saying mm. that there's a genetic link between the past and the present which we're in danger of, of disconnecting from or severing. So mm. this is really... He had a, a quite kind of gloomy prognosis in some ways about modern life. Um, where he does get much more optimistic is where you see him photographing people on the beach. Yes. Mm. And there's obviously his most famous one, I think it's, is it Sunbaker? Sunbaker, yeah. yes. Um, which is hugely iconic and that's in the exhibition mm-hmm. as well as um, the men who are, or lifesavers who are marching almost on the beach in a yeah. synchronised kind of way. Um you know, so men and women are depicted in in these mm-hmm. kind of ways. It's certainly not exclusive to women, um, but I found it very interesting that you then had across the other side of the exhibition space, um, directly opposite uh, a painting by Dorothy Thornhill, um, which is you know a bit different, and her body mm-hmm. um, is very muscular and she's very confident, mm-hmm. and she has modern her modern hairstyle. Um, her na- the title is Resting Diane. And that's referring to, although it still has classical references, it's referring to a very different point of inspiration. Yeah, it's interesting you pick up that one because, um, you know, in this period, it it was very radical and not really acceptable to show naked people unless it was connected to the classics. You kind of um, diffused it of its eroticism or sexuality by by connecting it to the sort of pure realm of the, the classical gods. Mm. Dorothy Thorne, who breaches that because she shows the woman uh, who's naked and incredibly muscular, kind of quite fierce, you know, she's a warrior woman, yeah. but she shows her with bobbed hair and um, so it's got that... Uh, 
immediate connection to contemporary life. And because it had that, she really got into a, a lot of trouble for it. It was quite a controversial mm. work, but it's um, it's a fantastic work. It's and I great, think yeah. It then sits a song along quite nicely some of the Jean Brune Norton sculptures of the period, which are also included mm. um, in the show, which pick up those ideas of this kind of almost like Amazonian race of men and women who are populating um, Australia. Yeah, it, it it's, it's definitely at least a contrast to the kind of woman as passive uh, childbearer, and yes. then this is kind of the more active, um, vital force of nature that yes, a woman could be. Uh, one critic, when looking at the show, said that they all, even when they're dressed or undressed, um, feel like they have armour, and mm. I think that's a really good way of of describing them. That this new race of Australians are kind of armed in a way, and I guess you know as the as the decade progresses and it becomes more apparent that Australia is going to be drawn into another world war, that's when photographs such as those of the Lifesaver take on a very militaristic feel to them. Mm. You know, Lifesavers are kind of out there to save people and they go on drills and they they march past in parades and they're dressed certain ways. So you can see the link being made quite clearly between them and sort of cannon fodder for the for the war that's about to come. So yeah. it, ha- it starts to take on this very um, poignant uh, feel and really very much connected to the Australian government's moves at the time towards what they called national fitness. It was felt that Australia's um, declining birth rates and the lack of general health and fitness of the population meant that we were getting into a very difficult situation with a new world war about to happen and so they became much more proactive about um, fitness in this period and that filters through into um, the work of, you know, not only um, the painters and the photographers but as we show in this work, those who are making films and Mm. decorative arts and um, even sound. Yeah, you know, there's a section in there about radios, which is yeah, one of my favourites. <laughs> it's a very good collection of radios. Oh, it's a fabulous collection. Yeah. They look like little pieces of architecture, they you do. know, like Art Deco buildings. Yeah. And um, it was an Australian business because Australia was uh, protected during that period. Um, and so those radios were made in this country using mm. the new Bakelite um, plastics, which enabled mm. them. Mm. And just to close out the discussion, because I think it highlights this shift from optimism to concern and mm-hmm. m- moving towards World War Two, is there's some fabulous port- self-portraits by Albert Tucker, oh, yes. which are just so revealing. You yeah. see this beautiful, handsome man who is kind of looking slightly off into the distance um, and... And with a little bit of a smile and slowly he has hollow eyes and his face becomes, um, you know, more and more mangled and slightly cubist Mm. in appearance. And that seemed to me to be quite revealing of this Mm. whole discussion around utopia and dystopia and health and ill health. Mm. Um, And it just was also just very interesting to make comparisons between them. What what was your intention with that? Well, precisely what you say. It's, it's, we really wanted to show the kind of psychological aspects of um, this period that, you know, it affected people physically. There's a Conceptualization of, of the body, but it also applies to the psyche too. So mm. it's in this room 
of artists who are taking these self-portraits. And um, Tucker is um, amazing because it does show his sort of disin- psychological disintegration as, as the war approaches. Um, so, you know, it's a very passionate, very contested decade. And what I hope with this show is that we give people a really immersive experience of the 30s, but also mm. make that link to today as well. I think many reporters are talking about that in terms of the way that um, nations are isolating themselves, not looking at internationalism, but are limiting their view to the nationhood, yeah. that there are actually some really interesting links to today and I guess some timely lessons Very as well. Much. Mm. Yeah, I could couldn't agree more and it's just really fascinating to move through the range of styles and subject matter mm-hmm. as well and we've only just covered off on you know almost half maybe not even yes. of this exhibition <laughs> it's a very rich show actually yeah. in many ways yeah so um certainly uh highly recommend checking it out to get the full experience when does it um when is it on until it's on until october and one program that your listeners might be interested in is that we're recreating a ballet of the period from 1939 by gertrude boldenweiser called demon machine Mm. And that's happening over the next couple of days. So they could just get on the NGV website and check it out. It's Excellent. free. They can come along. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, well, this is at the NGV Australia, so that's in Federation yes. Square, just to remind anyone, don't get mixed up. Um, and it's called Brave New World. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Isabel, for joining me. Oh, it's a complete pleasure. Thank you. Wonderful to chat. That was Dr Isabel Crombie, who's Assistant Director at the National Gallery of Victoria and co-curator of this exhibition, Brave New World. And definitely um, you should check it out. It brings together so many aspects of culture and design and art and architecture of the time to be a really rich picture of the complexity and sometimes contradictions that existed at that time. You've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a show broadcast on 3RRFM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and noon. Thanks for joining me.